there welcome back to ipv and me apologies if my voice is a little off today i had a concert uh two days ago um i'd say i went a little bit too hard uh with the the singing slash screaming and my body is in complete agony uh i have bad knees anyway my knees are messed up i hurt my foot a little bit um i have a pain in my wrist for some reason i've had a two-day headache and i just look a mess and sound a mess uh but it was a great day though um we me and my friend went to the global citizen festival in central park which i have gone to every year for however long it's been on now um coldplay were headlining they were amazing they're one of my bucket list bands to see so i was super excited to see them and oh my god they did not disappoint they were just fantastic um billy eilish was also there i'm not really a billy eilish fan um but she was just so cute a ball of energy uh she just had a really nice vibe about her even though i'm not really familiar with most of her songs um it was very enjoyable uh, Jennifer Lopez is there. She brought out El Cool J, which is amazing. Jerule was there with her. Uh, Cindy Lauper was playing. Sean and Sean Mendes and Camila Cabello were there. Again, not really into them, but they were enjoyable. The crowd went super crazy for them. No surprise. Uh, it was a day long event. It was just so much fun. Um, Harry and Meghan also made an appearance which I was very excited about it was so cool to see them they got a really great reaction from the crowd also which was nice to see uh, so yeah I'm a little bit of a mess now but I want to say it was totally worth it um, so you've probably all heard by now of the Gabby Petito case uh, it's one of the most high profile cases I've seen um, in several years um uh you'll know by now that her body was found unfortunately they're still looking for her partner brian laundry um i think at this point it's quite obvious that he had something to do with it um there's been a lot of uh talk in the media about uh, domestic violence and I've heard a lot of um, survivors speaking about how when they saw the police cam footage of um, the few days prior when they pulled over Gabby and Brian that they could see a lot of themselves in Gabby and her reactions and her body language and I have to say I felt exactly the same way too um so it's very very heartbreaking you know these cases are only going to continue happening uh next month October domestic violence awareness month so um I'm hopefully going to push out as many episodes as I can um just to highlight these cases even more give these women the voice that they deserve uh this has also highlighted how you know these young blonde pretty girls you know when they go missing they tend to be very high profile cases um and it only highlights the fact that there's so many missing women of color that don't get the same attention and men also and I've mentioned um, the statistics and things like that in these cases in previous episodes, but it's something I want to delve more deeply into and I want to tell more of these people's stories. Uh, it's just something that I want to give a lot of time and attention to. So I'm going to, it's probably not going to be out for a while, but it, I just want to put a lot of work into it before I put it out. Um, so there's going to be an episode on that coming shortly, hopefully. Uh, so on to today's episode. Again, this is a very, very high profile case. Uh, it's only three years old now. I remember watching it unravel at the time. And just, just one of those cases that really sticks with you. And it is the case of the Watts family. Um, I think that we definitely have all had mention of this story. We've all seen the faces of Shanann and her beautiful two little girls. 
Um, and the face of Chris Watts, their husband and father who brutally, savagely murdered them. Um, this is a case that just always gives me chills. No matter how many times I listen to podcasts, watch documentaries, read about it, it's just one of those cases that sticks with me and just really, really sickens me uh, to my stomach. Um, for this episode, I've given as much detail as I felt necessary and possible. Um, most of it came from the Netflix documentary um, American Murder, The Family Next Door uh, which was released last year I believe Um, I also came across a really great article about it Um, I didn't take any material from the article but I have linked it and I encourage you to read it if you want more information on it there's so much more information so many text messages online posts uh, pictures things like that Um, so definitely check that out if you're interested it's linked in the bio Uh, Shanann Watts she posted a lot on social media Um, she detailed her life she was um seems like a very happy positive person all she seemed to want was a happy marriage happy family life with her little girls and her little boy who she was pregnant with um and you know it just makes it even more heartbreaking because we have so much footage of her um and that's the thing I think with this day and age too and growing up in the social media ages we have so much more um, info about people because people tend to just document their lives these days and you know I think that's the same with the Gabby Petito case you know she was documenting her journey on her Instagram and her YouTube so it just kind of makes it that bit more fascinating to us I believe um, so I'm gonna start the story. So it's August 13th, 2018. Um, we see footage of Shanann coming home from her front door camera. She is dropped off by her friend Nicole At- Atkinson. They have been on a business trip together all weekend. So Nicole calls her the next morning and she's getting no answer, no responses to her texts. Um, she knew that Shanann had a doctor's appointment that morning she was just trying to see how it went Uh, so she's getting more and more worried that there's no response so she decides to go to her house Um, she calls 911 once she gets there she says she's very worried about her friend tells the the operator that she dropped her off at 2am and she hasn't been able to get a hold of her this morning She said her car is there, but she's not answering the door or any of her calls. Uh, She also says she has a three and a four-year-old girl and there's no movement in the house whatsoever. So they send an officer out and the operator advises her not to enter the house. Um, Nicole also has her partner with her. So when the cop arrives, Nicole says that Shanann was very distraught all weekend she wasn't eating normally or drinking and the group kept trying to force it on her Um, the cop looks in the windows he calls out for her they hear the dog inside barking Uh, Nicole mentions that she had a doctor's appointment that she did not show up for Uh, she says that Shanann's husband Chris is on the way home And the cop says that he can't go in because there is no sign of anything wrong and he has to have Chris's consent to enter. But he keeps knocking and he starts mentioning suggestions of what could have happened to explain her whereabouts, um, trying to reassure her that, you know, she could just be fine. uh, You know, it could just be one of those things. So... Then the neighbour comes out and he says that he hasn't seen her yet today. Nicole then calls Shanann's parents to ask for the code for the garage. Uh, They tell her that Chris had told them that Shanann was at a friend's house but didn't say who it was. 
then Chris arrives and he enters through the garage and then goes to the front door to let them inside so this is all available this all this footage you can watch it in the documentary you can watch it on youtube uh the footage is everywhere if you haven't seen it already it's very very fascinating just to watch the body language of everyone particularly chris uh, so they're all looking around the house. Uh, Chris isn't really saying much. He says that her parents are in North Carolina when the officer asked, so it says that he's definitely she's definitely not gone to them. Um, then he comes out of the girls' rooms and he says that the girls' blankies are gone and that they don't go anywhere without them. Then they find Shanann's phone. Uh, he says that she works from home and that her phone is her lifeline and the phone is turned off. Nicole looks extremely worried, but Chris just seems quiet and a little bit nervous. So they turn on the phone. Uh, he knows the code to unlock it. There is a text from him at 7.40 a.m. that morning saying, if you take the kids somewhere, please let me know where they are at. Then a text from Nicole saying, hey, mama, are you OK? Please give us a sign. Another one from Chris at 12 p.m. Can you call me, please? And at 1.19 p.m., I'm on my way home. Please be there. And another saying, where are you? They then find her purse and Nicole asks if her medication is in it. She says that Shannon has lupus. And at this point, when they find the medication in the bag, uh, Nicole appears even more worried than she had been. So in an online video, Shanann talks about how she has been divorced previously and it took her confidence away from her, it took everything away from her, but that she's not a quitter and her goal in life was to buy a house and she worked and worked and worked until she got her house, built it at age 25 and felt like it was her biggest accomplishment because she did it alone. 10 years earlier, she began feeling sick. Her hair was falling out. She felt like she had the flu all the time, no energy. She felt miserable. She was then diagnosed with lupus. She says she went through a dark time, but then she met Chris and she couldn't have asked for a better man. So back to that morning, the cop asks after he finds out that she has an illness, he asks if she ever blacks out or has seizures. And Chris says that she did a long, 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 long time ago. And she even once got in a car wreck because of it. And then he says that perhaps the traveling over the weekend may have caused something like this to happen to her again. He says he went to work at 5.15 or 5.30 in the morning and that he works in oil and gas as an operator. Then he finds her wedding ring on the nightstand next to the bed. In another online video, Shanann says she wasn't looking for a boyfriend, but out of nowhere, she got a friend request from Chris on Facebook. She said to herself, I'll never meet him. He's just a Facebook friend. I have a million of them. But eventually she did meet him. She says she pushed him away and gave him an out every single day. She tortured him, rejected him, but he stuck around because he was the one for her. In her wedding video, her dad says he couldn't ask for a better man for her that he makes her smile and she makes him smile. Her brother gets emotional saying they look great together and he couldn't have asked for a better guy for his sister and he loves them both. Shanann says now that they have two kids and he is the best thing that ever happened to her. We see footage of Chris playing with his girls and they just look like a regular happy family. So back again to that morning. Chris asks the cop if he should drive around her normal route to the school, to her friends' places. Uh, Nicole says that the neighbour uh, told him that he has a camera outside and perhaps he picked something up on that. So the cop goes to the neighbour's house to check. The neighbour says it continually records. Um, he starts playing the footage for him. Uh, Chris enters also with them. Uh, the neighbour tells him which angles it records from. And then the neighbor says, this is him at 5.17, referring to Chris loading his truck by backing it into the garage. We see Chris's car driving in the background. Chris says he moved the truck from its usual spot. He says he usually parks out there on the side so he can get everything back in and that it's easier instead of logging everything out there 
um, and all the tools that he had to bring in. This part of the footage to me seems like he is over explaining, like he's giving way too many details as to why he backed his car into the garage instead of parking it out in the sidewalk where he normally does. And to me, when people over explain things, it's a sign that they're lying. Um, he also looks very nervous and very anxious and fidgety. Obviously, this can be explained as being, you know, him worried about Shanann and the girls. But knowing what we know, I think it is because he doesn't know what is on this footage and he's scared about that. So he goes on to say that he had to park the truck there because they've also had issues with people stealing things out of out of the garages in the neighborhood. Again, he's over explaining why his car is there. And then the neighbor says, I have you parked right here and points it out on the screen. And at the same time, Chris says, I, he continues on with the explanation saying, I had seen someone try to uh, jimmy the door with a flathead screwdriver. And then the neighbor says he's nothing else from the rest of the day. Now, this neighbor's behavior is also really interesting to me because, you know, earlier how he referred to Chris as him and not as Chris, uh, like he wasn't in the room. And he just seems like he, when Chris is talking, he just seems very like dismissive of him. And like he just, you could just tell he just has some weird like vibe with him. Like he's doesn't like him or he doesn't believe what he's saying or something like that it's really really interesting to watch it um so Kristen out of nowhere mentions that Shanann is pregnant uh 14 or 15 weeks pregnant um to me that seems strange I hadn't mentioned that before uh but I believe the cop already knew this because uh Nicole Shanann's friend had mentioned she was supposed to have the doctor's appointment that morning so then we see footage from Shanann of her telling Chris that she is pregnant again. Uh, he looks happy. He looks surprised. Uh, then we see footage of her telling the girls. Um, Shanann says that Chris wants a boy. She says she feels blessed because she was told previously that she couldn't have any kids. And there's just some more footage of them together as a family, just looking really happy. So again, back to that morning, Chris says that he appreciates the neighbor's time. Um, and he shakes his hand, but you know, in that kind of like bro kind of way where they just like, you kind of just slap hands and like, it was just a very, very strange, again, way to kind of, it was just like a little too casual or something. It was like he was trying his best to act overtly normal. Um, so Chris is walking out to leave and we can see the cop is kind of lingering back and he shouts out to Chris that he is just going to stay behind because he needs to take the neighbor's information. So as soon as Chris walks out the door, the neighbor quickly says to the cop, he's not acting right at all. He says he's never fidgeting usually. He's never usually rocking back and forth like that. And he says, if you look here, as he walks back to the camera footage, he never loads his stuff in and out of the garage ever. He's normally quiet, real subdued. He never talks. So the fact that he's over here blabbing his mouth makes me kind of suspicious of something. The cop says, yes, but put yourself in his situation. Anyone's going to be nervous. And the neighbor says he has to agree with that. Um, to me, that was amazing. First of all, this neighbor, like to first of all say I have footage to call the cop over play him the footage to explain to the cop I don't think this man is acting right he doesn't normally behave like this you know that is just such I feel like people are sometimes afraid to kind of speak out like that and things that they're thinking and you know that was just such a really great thing for him to do and to point out I think um, so back to Chris at the house, who says that he has exhausted every single option of contacts that he has for Shanann and where she would be. Uh, the cop gives him his card and tells him to contact him anytime. And Chris to me looks relieved that the cop is leaving. Um, and again, I feel like, you know, you would want the cop to stay around and you would want him to be to say okay like we're going to be out right now looking for like you you would just want to know okay but what are you doing or am I just are you just going to go back and that's it like are you going to look for my wife like he just seems relieved that they're going away rather than just being frantic and worried 
So Nicole is outside as the cop is leaving. She looks worried, sick and extremely emotional. She says it's very unlike Shanann to do something like this. Um, her behaviour is so different to Chris's. Like the contrast between the two of them is so strange. And Chris says that them not being safe is what's tearing him apart. So August 14th, Chris is on the phone to the police. The cop says he's trying to get information about his wife and kids, their height, weight, hair color, and all of that um, to be able to put some alerts out, make some flyers. Um, They start handing flyers out around the neighborhood. um, As the cops go door to door, they're asking the neighbors if they've seen anything strange, if they've seen or heard anything. Um, one lady says that she saw a truck hanging out outside the house late in the afternoon, but she says it was smaller than Chris's usual truck. Then the cops go to the house and do a search, and Chris is in there with a reporter with a video camera. The cop says that they can all be in the house while the forensics team searches. They bring in sniffer dogs and one of the forensics team says that the place seems a little too immaculate to be normal and another says it's amazingly clean. Meanwhile, Chris does an interview outside on the porch with reporters. I recall watching this on the news at the time and I just remember looking at his face and just thinking, you did something. I just knew it. So... He says that he hopes she is somewhere safe with the kids. He doesn't look worried. He doesn't look any bit distraught. He looks like he's being interviewed for something that, you know, he should be happy about. Like his eyes are bright. They're smiling even. It's like he's trying to appear like a nice guy. Again, that trait of, you know, these men being nice guy in public, but monster behind doors. He says, if somebody has her and they're not safe, like, I want them back now. This doesn't, to me, seem like a sentence I would say or how I would say it if I was pleading with a potential kidnapper to give my family back. Um, It's just very casual. And it's like he's almost, like, cringing that he's even saying it. Um... He's then asked if they had an argument before she left. The camera zooms out as he's asked this. He has his arms crossed and he's kind of swaying side to side. He says they didn't have an argument, but they had an emotional conversation and that he'll leave it at that and he just wants them back. And again, he says it so casually and he even smiles and gives a kind of half laugh as he says it. So strange. So then he is brought in for questioning at the police station. Um, The cop is acting very relaxed and casual, like it's nothing, which I'm guessing is a tactic to make him, make Chris feel the same, like he's relaxed and he doesn't have anything to worry about. Um, The detective sits on the same side of the table as him. They're both in very relaxed poses. It's almost like they're chilling at a bar and having a drink, just having a conversation. Um, again this footage is fascinating to watch so definitely check it out Uh, so Chris says the last conversation he had with her he was talking about how he was feeling um, how he felt like what's been going on for the last six weeks with them where they were apart for a while was a way for him to find out who he is he says when they were together they didn't feel a spark anymore and that's why he got emotional with her he said he was bawling his eyes out He asks, did I cause this? Did I make her feel like she had to leave? So seven weeks earlier, we see footage of Shanann and the girls. They are going to North Carolina for six weeks to spend time with both her and Chris's family. And Chris is due to join them at the end of July. The girls are so excited to see their grandmother at the airport. Uh, Shanann's dad had flown with them to North Carolina, so he was already there. And we see this cutest footage of them singing happy birthday to their grandma. They just look so happy. And Shanann's family looks so happy to have them there also. So the cops interview Shanann's friend, Nicole, who is the one who 
um, alerted them to the fact that she was missing in the first place. She says that they hang out together a lot. They have kids the same age. Um, she says that while she was in North Carolina, Shanann got in a fight with Chris's mother because she had bought ice cream that had everything Cece is allergic to in it. She warned her not to give it to Cece. Then we see a text from Shanann to Chris saying, you should call your dad and tell him you did not appreciate your mom putting your daughter at risk today. Chris responds, I will call him and tell him what I think about this. It's not fucking cool at all because it is the kids. I will set this right. Chris's best friend, Mark, says that Cindy, Chris's mom, claims that she had no idea about the food allergy. She says she kicked Shannon out. She went back to her parents. Shannon went back to her parents. Nicole says she didn't see Chris's parents anymore after that. Even though they celebrated Cece's birthday while they were there, Chris's parents did not come. In a text to her, she says the in-laws were a no-show and she doesn't ever want to see them again. Chris says that Shanann said they couldn't go to their house again after the ice cream incident. Again, in that article that I linked to, there is far more detail about this. There is a bunch of text messages that were sent back and forth between Chris and Shanann. This incident seemed to have caused a huge issue between them and a huge issue in the family as a whole. Uh, so Chris says to the cop interviewing him that he thinks that someone took her. He says it would have to have been someone she knew because there is no sign of a break-in and that freaks him out. Five weeks earlier, while Shanann is in North Carolina, she FaceTimes Chris. He doesn't respond, but he texts her later saying, I didn't see those FaceTimes and I'm sorry I missed those calls. I'm very, very, very sorry. The FaceTime went through on my work phone. To me, a lot of his text messages are very strange. Like, they're not how I feel people normally word text messages. They just seem like very formal in places. It's really strange. Uh, so Shanann responds, forget not getting my calls. You fucking call your kids when you wake up. You have not called one time since we've been here on your own. This to me feels more like how a regular person would text. Um... Chris responds, I know and I will FaceTime them as soon as I wake up. From now on, I am extremely sorry. I feel like a jackass. Please be okay. And again, there's just something very formal to me about how some of his sentences are worded. Um, Shanann responds with, you'd think you missed us, but I guess not. And he says, I do miss you guys. I miss you tons. Nicole says Shanann texted her at the time and said she didn't know what was going on with Chris and the only time he's ever acted like this in the marriage was right after they got married. She says that his parents didn't like her. She says it's because she is bossy but Nicole says that she's bossy in a good way to push you to do good things and motivate you not to be bitchy. Chris says that his mother and sister didn't like her. Also note the past tense here he continues to speak about Shanann in the past tense whereas Nicole still speaks about her in the present tense and I think again that's quite telling because he already knows that she doesn't exist anymore um so she says that they thought Shanann had taken him away from them Shanann herself says in footage that she's the dominating one while he's very sweet and calm she's high strong um says he has more patience she has more patience for kids than she does for adults so there's obviously some family tension in there you know chris's mom and sister think that shanann took chris moved him away to a different state um and i guess they see her as bossy and domineering um which you know He's a grown man. He doesn't need to be around his parents and sister like all the time. Come on. Uh, Chris says that he was never suspicious of Shanann having an affair. Again, he continues to speak in the past tense about her. Um, the cop mentions that he has seen old pictures of Chris where he's overweight and that now he's very fit and that men can often get very fit when they start having an affair. Chris says again he didn't cheat on her. He says he lost lots of weight but he never cheated cop then asks if he'll take a polygraph and he agrees uh they then call chris's supervisor um they ask if 
he has ever mentioned anything to him about cheating on Shanann or if Shanann had cheated on him. Um, they ask him to explain the events of Monday morning. He says that Chris was out on the survey ranch all day, says he has no concerns about him other than what he's going through right now. So August 15th, uh, the lady who is setting up the polygraph, um, again, she's laughing, joking with him, all very casual. I feel like, you know, she's just lulling him into a false sense of security. Um, she explains to him what will be happening. Uh, says He says that they spoke that morning about selling the house and separation. Um, she asks if Shanann accused him of anything. He says that she says to him, is there someone else? He said, no, it's me talking to you. I'm telling you this. There's no one else. Um, she says, the polygraph lady says that today is about him having confidence that he had nothing to do with her disappearance. And they're just trying to confirm that. But if he did have something to do with their disappearance, it would be really stupid for him to come in and take a polygraph today. He says, exactly. And she then laughs and says, yeah, it would be really dumb and you shouldn't be sitting here. And he agrees. Again, she's making the whole thing seem very casual. Um, again, I think this is just done to get him to relax and appear casual also. Um, so meanwhile, the news reports are ramping up. Everywhere is being searched for the um, missing family. Uh Nicole makes a very emotional appeal on TV. Um, so the polygraph lady stops him after the first few questions and says she needs his breathing to be normal and that his breathing is all over the place. He says sometimes he feels like he's not breathing enough and then he deeply inhales and exhales. Again, this also feels like he's over explaining. To me, he feels like he constantly is having to explain his behaviors and things that he's doing and then when it's over he says that it was kind of hard to relax so then we see more footage of the girls in North Carolina they're playing with their uncle in the backyard they look so happy Shanann texts Chris saying I realize this trip what's missing in our relationship it's only one-way emotions and feelings I can't come back like this I need you to meet me halfway Chris responds, you won't come back like this, I promise. I love you so much, beautiful. Shanann says, I love you too. It's not just about last night. I kept looking at my phone all night and no response from you. Like seriously, we've been together eight years and have 2.5 kids together. Then we see the most heartbreaking footage of little Bella in the car singing a song to her dad. My daddy is a hero. He helps me grow up strong. He reads me books. He ties my shoes. You're a hero through and through. It is just so heartbreaking to see this beautiful little three-year-old girl thinking that her dad is her absolute hero in life, trusts him, loves him. And then to know what happened to her is just... I just... I don't even have words for it, to be honest. So Chris says that his flight to North Carolina was July 31st and he flew out there for a week so that he could fly back with the girls. Shanann records the girls running to him at the airport. They're so excited to see him. And to me, he seems a little off with Shanann. He gives her a strange look and he doesn't even hug her. She texts a friend later saying, he kissed me once since he's been here. That was at the airport. I kissed him. No grabbing my ass, hug or anything. I want to cry. The friend says to tell him how you feel. Shanann says, he said nothing's wrong. Five weeks away from me and not touching me. I just want to cry. This is something I remember also, you know, from my abusive relationship, just getting constantly rejected all the time. And, you know, of course, we always question ourselves never question them always question ourselves so she texts her friend again later kids in bed i took a night shower means i want sex and he knows it and he's over here doing fucking push-up challenge instead of discussing anything or fucking me i'm over here crying in silence he's never been like this five and a half fucking weeks no sex unless he was getting it somewhere else her friend says not to think like that 
Shanann says, he claims there is nothing wrong with us and this is nothing to do with us, but he's never, ever shut me out like this. So back to the interview and the detective re-enters the room with Chris and the polygraph lady to talk about the results. She says that it is completely clear he was not honest during the test. He promises he wasn't lying. The detective says, stop and take a deep breath. The lady says, there's a reason you feel sick to your stomach today because people who hold things inside makes them feel physically ill. She says she can tell on his face and from the second he walked in that he was wanting to come clean and be done with it. That he knew he wasn't going to pass and he knew she knew. She says, we just want to know what happened. Again, he says he didn't lie. She says it's not even an option to say that he wasn't lying and she knows he was being deceptive. That the issue is not him lying, but is what happened to his family. Then again, we see more heartbreaking footage of Bella in the back of the car as they're leaving North Carolina. She's crying, saying she misses her Uncle Frankie already. These girls were clearly so loved by Shanann's family. Back in Colorado, the girls are hugging, kissing their puppy. They're just the cutest, happiest little girls. It is just so sad. Shanann again texts her friend, something changed in the last five weeks. I'm so confused. He's in the shower. I just got out. I'm so horny and he's been talking more on the ride home. I'm sure even if he hates me, sex is sex. Okay, he's getting out. Love you. Pray I get sex tonight. It's so sad to see this poor woman telling her friend to pray that she gets to have sex with her husband. You know, just questioning herself again. The next day, she texts her friend again and says, Well, he rejected me. I just bawled for an hour, still trembling. Just went and woke his sorry ass up and asked him who he's sleeping with. He denied anyone and told me not now. This isn't over lack of communication. Shanann then says that she blames his parents that it's the only incident that has happened over the last month. Again, she's blaming anything and anyone but him. And that is just another thing that we do as victims of abuse. So back to August 15th. This time we see the cops interviewing a woman named Nicole Kessinger. She says that Chris has no idea that she's talking to them and that she thinks he's a really good guy, but she's worried about his wife and kids. She says she met him at work in the beginning of June. He said he had daughters and he was in the process of separating from his wife. Um, She said then that the relationship developed beyond a friendship. There's footage and pictures of them sandboarding together um, and said she said that she only found out Shanann was pregnant again through the media and she is very concerned and very scared for the family. Back to Chris then, um, he's claiming that he wants the girls home but the polygraph lady says but you know they're not coming home though. Then he says finally that he cheated on her but the detective says that he already knows. He says he's with Nicole pretty much the whole five weeks Shanann and the girls were in North Carolina. Um, He said she's wonderful and knew he was married, that he told her he was separating. He says she took his breath away and he's not proud of it. And he still denied it to Shanann. The detective says he definitely thinks Nicole had nothing to do with their disappearance. The lady says, this is your baby girl and you haven't shed one tear for your daughters. He says he's crying to his wife. She says that he mentioned he's been crying to his wife about leaving her, yet he hasn't cried a single tear over his daughter's disappearance. He says it's because he hopes that they're somewhere. And she says, but they're not here with you, though. She then asks if Shannon did something to them. He says he doesn't know. He gets emotional then, finally, and asks if he can talk to his dad. They agree, saying they will if he tells his dad what actually happened. So his dad, Ronnie, enters the room and the 
detectives uh, exit the room. Ronnie asks him what is going on. He tells him he failed a polygraph. He says he's too emotional for it and they're not going to let him leave. Ronnie asks if there's a reason why. Uh, Chris says they know about the affair. Ronnie keeps asking anything else you want to tell me. And eventually Chris says he wants to protect Shanann. And he says that she hurt the girls and he had to kill her. He says she smothered them. They were blue. He freaked out and then did the same thing to her. Ronnie looks visibly shocked. Chris says he was full of rage and it just happened. Ronnie says, God almighty son. The detectives go back to the house to process evidence after hearing this and they tow a truck parked down the street that is linked to the house. I believe this is the grey truck that the neighbour had mentioned earlier in the day. So the polygraph lady and the detective enter the room again. Um, The lady appears to comfort Chris. Uh, She says, just tell us where they are. He says they're gone and there's no bringing them back. It doesn't matter. His dad comforts him. Chris says they're at the location that he was at that day working. And he asks what's going to happen now. He is sobbing and says he doesn't want them out there. The detective comforts him as he exits the room again to process some new things. Um, To me, it appears like they leave the room to see if Chris will tell Ronnie where their bodies are, which he does. He says, they're in a freaking oil tank. I didn't know what else to do. Please, God, forgive me. The detectives return with a picture that Chris confirms is the survey 319 location he was working at that morning. He points out in the picture where Shanann was buried. The picture was taken that morning. And he says that the girls are in the 20-foot tanks on the location. Uh, He says the sheet that is in the picture is what Shanann was wrapped in. Um, The lady asks if he's okay with the public knowing Shanann killed them because... And he says, yes, he is because he didn't hurt the girls. Again, I think that she was asking this because she knew that this was a lie and she just wanted to know, are you sure that you're okay with people thinking that she did this? Um, The detective says that it looks like Chris found a new life and the only way to get it was to get rid of his old life. That he killed the girls before Shanann got home and then killed her. Chris denies this, says he's not a monster. I did not kill my babies. So August 10th, three days before the murders, he had the kids all weekend while Shanam was in Arizona with Nicole. Nicole says she picked her up for the convention from her house where she was waiting on the front porch at around 4.30 a.m. Shanann texts Chris saying, I miss and love you so much. I'm still in shock. We're having a little boy. I'm so excited and happy. Thank you for letting me hold you this morning. It felt good. Your letter is on the counter. Again, it's so crazy to think that she had to thank her own husband for letting her hold him. In the letter, she wrote how basically all the things that she missed about him um, while things are rocky between them and says that he is worth all the hard times that they're going through. Back to the interview room, Chris is arrested and cuffed and the story breaks that he has confessed. The next day, they recover Shanann's body. A candlelight vigil is held. Shanann's dad thanks everyone for their prayers. Two days before the murders, Shanann texts Chris asking if the girls are up. He says they're watching cartoons in bed and they just have a general conversation about the girls. Back to the interview with his girlfriend, Nicole. They ask if she ever, if Chris ever said anything to him. Pardon me. They ask if she ever said anything to Chris about his kids or his wife being a problem. She says never and that she's shocked by his confession and is thinking back on all the lies that he's ever told her. She says that he came to her house just this past Saturday, the weekend Shanann was away, and they went to a bar together. He got a babysitter. Shanann's friend Nicole, when questioned about this, said that that night 
Chris had told Shanann that he got a sitter because he went to a game, but she checked their bank statement and saw that he had gone to dinner and thought it was odd because the check was for over $60. She even looked up the menu online and checked the price of what he said he had ordered and it only came to $30. Then she started going through their entire bank account to see if there were other strange charges while she was gone. He also didn't get home until 10.30, which she thought was odd because it was well after dinner time. And she knew the time he got home because their security system alerted them whenever the front door was open. Shanann's brother says at the court hearing that he is hoping that Chris will admit to killing the girls because he has no doubt Shanann would ever hurt the girls. Her dad is visibly distraught at the court hearing and his son tries to comfort him. Then Shanann begins to get a lot of hate online. A lot of women saying she was a bad mother, that she drove him to do what he did, that she was a narcissist, that she was a bitch. People really believed that he was innocent. Shanann's dad even had to make another appearance saying that his daughter and granddaughters have been mocked and slandered so viciously online and he pleaded with people to stop. The day before the murders, Shannon texts her friend. He never fights with me, he just goes with the flow. He knows I like things done a certain way but I never thought about how that might make him feel as a man. Nicole says she called him that night from the airport. She came back not more than five minutes later and says she's not okay and that she hadn't talked to him all day or hardly at all this weekend and he just wants to work out. He started working out while she was on the phone with him, so she just let him go. Shanann texted her friend again, saying I did belittle him without realising it with his parents. I told him he needed to find his balls and protect his family. Again, she's blaming herself for his behaviour and finding excuses for it. She texts Chris, Thank you for taking good care of the girls this weekend so I can learn and work. I appreciate it. Like You should not have to thank your husband, your kid's father, for taking care of his own children. So, forward to November 6, 2018. Watts enters a guilty plea to all nine counts, including murder in the first degree for Shannon, Bella and Cece. Unlawful termination of pregnancy of Nico Watts, three counts of unlawful tampering with a deceased human body. And because of his guilty plea, he won't face the death penalty. Forward again to February 18th, 2019. The following is very disturbing, very upsetting. So I suggest skipping forward if you do not want to hear. Um, basically, Chris finally explains what happened that night. Um, warn you again, some of this is pretty, pretty graphic and disturbing. So Chris says she got home at 2am. He had a feeling she knew what he did that weekend. That Saturday night was the last straw. He felt her get into bed. She initiated sex and they had sex. When he woke up later on in the morning, he told her it wasn't going to work anymore. She said she knew he was having an affair, said he's never going to see the kids again. The detective then asks, when did it turn? He says he told her he didn't love her and that's when it happened. He put his hands around her neck and she told him to get off. He says something had really been implanted in his mind that he he knew he was going to do it that morning. He had no control over it. Why couldn't he just let it go? He said she wasn't fighting. Then Bella came in. She said, what's wrong with mommy? She had her pink blanket with her. Shanann was face down on the bed. He put her in a sheet and carried her downstairs, pulled his truck up to the garage. He had her in the back seat on the floor and put the girls into the back seat too. The girls were asking, is mommy okay? He said, she'll be fine. When he was driving up to where he was disposing of the bodies, the girls were just sitting there half asleep, holding each other and laying in each other's laps. He says it was a 45 minute to an hour ride and he asks himself now, couldn't he have saved his girls' lives? Why did he do it? All he wanted all his life was to be a dad, just to have kids and they love me, all that. Nothing made sense. He says when he got there that Cece was first. He put the blanket over her head. Bella said, what happened to Cece? 
Then she said, Daddy, no. And that was it. He says he hears her say that every day. After he disposed of their bodies, which he did by stuffing the girls in the eight-inch opening of the tanks. They think that this is the only reason why Shanann was not also disposed of this way. They had a hard job removing the girls. The people who removed her said that their skin was coming off as they tried to move them. Afterwards, the men had to go through a decontamination process after being in the tanks. Chris made several phone calls after he disposed of their bodies. One was to the school saying that they were being unenrolled. He contacted a realtor saying that he wanted to discuss them selling the house and he texted his girlfriend about their future. Sandy, Shanann's mom, addressed the court. She said they loved Chris like a son, trusted him. His faithful wife trusted him. His children adored and trusted him. She says she has no idea who gave him the right to take their lives. Chris is sitting there, tightly clenching his jaw, biting his lip, looking down and bouncing his leg quickly up and down throughout this whole thing. Then his mother, Cindy, speaks. She says she's struggling to understand how and why this happened. Says they're heartbroken. Says they love Chris and they forgive him. She turns to him as she says this. Chris declines his right to make a statement. The judge says it's the most inhumane and vicious crime he's ever handled. Anything less than the maximum sentence would depreciate the seriousness of this offence. He then gives him three life sentences. Footage of Shannon, which she posted online, shows her say, Because of my health challenges, because I got so sick, I let him in. He only knew me at that time. He knew me at my worst and he accepted me. To me, this shows she let him in at a very vulnerable time in her life. And as a narcissist, he took full advantage. Another video has her saying, we're not promised tomorrow. You know, we're not promised anything, but we'll be able to enjoy our children and their very crazy moments. It can be super crazy, but I love them. In America, three women are killed because of their current partner or ex-partner every day. Parents who murder their children and partner are most often men. This crime is virtually always premeditated.